Welcome to Study Show, where we talk about the use and misuse of scientific research in popular conversation and its cultural implications. I'm Imran, and I'm here with my cousin, Ruma. Today, we're going to talk about science and research and how it's used to justify exclusion in the tech industry and beyond, particularly when it comes to where the money is going. We'll explore how facts, or so-called facts, about gender and race help those in power maintain their bias, and how this bias leads to things like hostile, uninviting work environments, especially for women of color. What is the root cause of toxic tech masculinity, and how can a better understanding of data help create change? With us today to discuss this topic is Samara Mejia Hernandez, Senior Associate at Math Venture Partners, an early-to-growth stage fund. Samara is also actively involved in the Chicago tech community and passionate about helping underrepresented groups get into STEM education, venture capital, and entrepreneurship. With us also is Sabrina Muthakrishna, founder and CEO of The Town Kitchen, a community-driven food business in Oakland whose tagline is, we deliver delicious lunch and employ urban youth. Okay, so indulge me for a second. I want to start by talking about Aaron Sorkin, which um, he's kind of like maybe the most white dude-centric writer in Hollywood. That means um, we have to all start talking really fast and sarcastically. Yes, please. Uh, um, he's all, yeah, he's a, he's a great writer, but he's always saying silly things and, and writing silly things. But in, in recently... There was this interview where in response, um, he said this in response to finding, quote unquote, finding out about Hollywood's diversity problem. He said, quote, are you saying that women and minorities have a more difficult time getting their stuff read than white men? And you're also saying that white men get to make mediocre movies and can continue on. Sorkin said that to <laughs> a stunned audience. And then after he was informed that that was true, uh, he went on to say, I do want to understand what someone like me can do. But my thing has always been, if you write it, they will come. And of course, you know, a lot of people made fun of this online and, and you know, it's, it's funny, but, it, but, but it's not. It kind of gets to the heart of what we want to talk about today is that, you know, even though we're talking about another very white, very male um, or man I wrote "mantastic" uh, <laughs> industry, uh, but it's it's the um, it's the same myth of meritocracy, um, the assumption that people who aren't white men just aren't that interested or aren't as good, or you know, those are the implications which these kinds of comments always make. And so, uh, you know, I think that's a good transition to this article that you wrote, Samara, which I really loved. Um, and the title kind of says it all, but it's it was called Why Your Boss is Still a White Guy. And uh, it was at the Chicago Tribune. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I could just go right into my question, which is why are boss, our bosses like Aaron Sorkin, why are they still white guys? Yeah, I mean, you could trace it back to, um, you know, just how... Um, the U.S. has evolved in terms of um, all types of people, women, minority, underrepresented groups, immigrants, getting access to, to jobs, getting access, getting the same rights as white men. Um, you know, you could trace it back since the beginning of, you know, the start of this country, um, and we don't have time to go into that. But I would say that um, in general, you know, the power comes from where the money is. And, um, you know, giving where the money is 
in, in the in the VC space, it was typically um, investors were uh, engineers that you know had made a business, uh, made some money, and started making some investments. And over time, that's evolved. Over time, that's evolved to you know um, include different types of investors, a younger. Um, um, at times more diverse, but we're still lacking there. Um, so there's a history behind the the venture capital space um, and in the tech space. So, but I would say um, the reason why it hasn't moved as quickly as some other spaces or some other industries is I fundamentally believe it's it's really um, the culture of and the nature of the industry. So um, the culture of, you know, where the money is and who has the power to invest. And then on the other hand is who is taking on these risks and starting doing startups um, and how those two parties connect. In general, if you are um, an entrepreneur seeing, uh, and, and Sabrina can talk about this, but seeing, um, you know, wanting to get into the space and trying to do a startup. And on the other hand, if you're an investor looking for uh, startups to invest in or a potential investor looking to see um, what you're going to look at is who's around you, who's in your network, and who are these role models that you can say, oh, wow, yeah, I can do that, right? And so um, the short answer is it's the history of how this industry was started, one. And then two, why it hasn't moved so fast is because of who's in this industry still. It's still white men and it's not changing very fast. So um, I loved your article. It really spoke to me when I read it. I know I'm, I'm the one that reached out to you. Well, a mutual friend introduced us, but this article really spoke to me compared to a lot of other, other articles that talk about the same thing because it, it goes into the numbers. And for me, you know, numbers matter, the data matters. Um, and here's just some really compelling numbers that, that came from um, the study that you quote. It's a state of startups annual report, and it's a survey of 700 founders and CEOs of tech startups to understand the current landscape of the startup world. And what we're finding here, and you were talk about this in depth, is about that only 3% of venture funding goes to women and 1% goes to people of color. Um, so we're not talking about opinions here. We are talking about when you literally look at the money, here is the money is being allocated. Um, here's how the money is being allocated. So we say that, you know, so if you touched on something, you mentioned it as a, like a, a network issue in, you know, and in tech, I'm sure you've heard the term pipeline problem and few things enrage me more uh, than somebody saying that there's a pipeline problem and I, I couldn't find and I looked and I could, couldn't find the qualified women or minorities to be in the space. And what we're seeing here in, in this study is that 49% of men believe that the top issue driving lack of diversity is that not enough women and minorities get into tech in the first place. So it's a pipeline problem. So Samara, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on that. To touch on the, the first part, the survey. Um, so when, when they asked the men why that, you know, the, there's, that there's a pipeline problem, right? That they said 49% of men said that there was a pipeline problem. When they asked women and minorities, they said it was bias and lack of role models. Um, there was a big, huge gap between those numbers. If you think about it, so when I looked at, I, you know, I, I got into VC and I thought, great, this is what I want to do. Um, and I read an article in TechCrunch about um, just diversity in the VC space. 
the study showed that out of 1,528 venture capitalists in the United States, there was 11% had women in VC on all different levels. And then I looked at women of color, there was seven that I counted. And I'm like, really? And they didn't have me, so now there's eight. But then I thought about this and then I said, okay, well, there's, you know, when you think about lack of role models, like the women stated in this article, um, and you think about these unconscious biases that are so important in early stage funding. So we look at, we invest at the seed and series A level. So really like the first or second institutional round of funding for startups. Um, and so much of that goes into, you know, you, you, the, you can look at the numbers, the market size, the financial model, whatever it is. But a lot of that is really believing in the entrepreneur and, you know, build how well do you build a relationship with them? How well do you believe in them and their ability to execute? So there's an even in, an increased um, kind of risk to these unconscious biases. So when it says in the article that, you know, only 3% of women get venture capital funding, well, if you look at who is actually funding these businesses, there's very few women. There's a, I strongly believe there's a direct correlation between who is funding um, these businesses and who is getting funded. Uh, there's also something to be said about um, the culture and even for the women who are in the culture that one can get socialized into it, right? So for, for women who enter strongly male-driven cultures, there is this pressure to other other women, right? So you have to be, in a sense, almost more masculine than the men and push away women even more. Otherwise, you'll be seen as the chick, right? So we see it, we see it happen in finance. Um, I think some of the earliest stories of, you know, women are women's worst enemy, et cetera, et cetera, come from limited environments where there are so few women that women feel like you cannot befriend other women, because then you'll be seen as the gossipy chicks together, right? So do you feel, um, Samar, that there's an implicit pressure for on you as a woman to almost not back women companies because you'll be seen as, you know, sort of giving preferential treatment or, or you know, not playing along or something like that? Have you seen that or have you experienced that at all? So from, I'll start with the, the last part of the experience that absolutely. So on my end, um, I found that, and I talked about this with my boss recently, who's a white man, that people have that, that have mentored me and practically reached out to me, and, and whether it's finance, engineering, or VC, have mostly been white men. Um, and you can say that, well, there's maybe lack of women, but in general, I think the generations above us that had even less women, they had to fight their way through. And I've experienced bullying. I've experienced, you know, um, more bullying from women and, and more lack of mentorship from women than, than men in general. And, I'm, and, you know, maybe that's a big stereotype, but not all. I'm not going to say all because I definitely had women mentors, but that's how I would say in general. Um, I would say that in that other women in our generation have experienced that. And what I'm hopeful about is that we've created groups and, um, you know, whether it's organizations, whether it's small teams at, at Kellogg that all, we all helped each other, you know, um, study for investment banking and negotiate salaries. And we all kind of help. I think that's changing, which I see that as a positive thing. Um, but so, so I have experienced it, but I see a change, which is great. Um, another side is, is um, how do I feel pressured to, you know, not invest in with women and, and, and not, in, not be like in the, you know, women group because of gossiping or whatever else? Absolutely not. Um, and I would say that I don't want to invest. There, there's, there's funds that invest in certain groups in certain areas. And 
I, you know, want to find the best investments. Um, you know, is it easier to invest in a business that is a B2B staff company that has track record? Yes. And those businesses are not typically led by women. So a lot of, so in general, and I'm making generalizations, we can get the numbers on that, but it's easier to push a business that is not maybe traditionally women owned. But that being said is I am here to fight for these businesses that other people are saying no to. And I think that's what brings my unique value add to my fund and they, uh, you know, push for me to bring in my own opinions. So it's more challenging, but I think that for me, I see it as an opportunity. So I, I think that's a good segue into Sabrina, what you do, because I feel like you have the kind of business model that a typical VC would say, I don't really understand it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, that's uh, definitely been my experience. It's uh, it's interesting thinking about how all of these work together um, and and create that self fulfilling prophecy. So you have, you know, you don't have enough women startups that are funded. Uh, you don't have enough female and women of color investors and VCs. Um, and then you're ta- we're talking about the pipeline. And then you know we just don't as a woman of color and a CEO, you don't have the same mentorship that you would as a white male. Um, and so how that plays out and, and my background has been in, in STEM education is that it's, you know, when young girls start off, um, they're actually really interested in, in element in science in elementary school. Like it's like over 70% or 75% of girls like say they love science and math. Um, and then in middle school, they actually outperform uh, their male counterparts. Uh, but then you have 10 years kind of hearing that women aren't good at science and math and that there's not really any jobs and, and just kind of the soft things of like, oh, like, what are you going to go into and kind of suggesting other careers for them? So what happens at the end is that they don't actually major in in STEM degrees and and then they're, then they're, the pipeline is an issue. And so when we don't have access and we don't see people that look like us, um, it gets in your head. And I think this is also really relevant as a entrepreneur fundraising, I can't tell you how many times I've been told that this, like raising a seed round is about the entrepreneur. They're like, yeah, you know, like they expect that like you might pivot. Uh, they want you to obviously have like a great understanding of the market and your space. Um, but ultimately they're really investing in you as the entrepreneur. They want to see that you have hustle. They want to see that you have determination, that you're going to be resilient. Um, and that language is really problematic when you're in you're repetitively in a room that's all white and it's all white men. Um, and so how do you, how do you navigate that? And how do you deconstruct that? It's like, what does that mean to a white male? Like what is the, their entrepreneur is, is very different than the entrepreneur that you know. And, and then you're seeing all these stats about women of color not getting funding. Um, and yeah, definitely. I think being in, I mean, food tech specifically is a really hard space right now to, to fundraise in. And I, I just, I think a lot of the times, uh, one of the questions I get asked a lot is like, oh, one, like, oh, what role are you? Or like, how long, you know, how long have you been with that company? So I have to consistently be like, oh, I'm actually one of the founders and I'm the CEO. Um, and two, they're like, oh, who's doing your fundraising or who's fundraising with you? And I'm like, well, I'm fundraising on my own. And, um, and so consistently having to have that dialogue gets frustrating and also kind of gets in your head. Have you ever had somebody like, like in a meeting or something, say something like, you know, women aren't as good at this or like anything along those lines, like in person. I'm just wondering. I mean, like, I know I see it online. I was saying earlier, I see online people are always like tweeting, like, you know, 
like statistics at me like, oh, well, women don't want to do this, you know, because the statistics show they don't want to do it. And their stats are always just like, you know, because we have an imbalanced world, the stats are imbalanced, right? But I was just wondering if anyone's ever tried to use that in conversation. I mean, I mean, so I think being the nature of being in the impact tech space, um, I would like to believe they're a little bit more sensitive to that. Um, but I think it plays out in kind of the microaggressions and the language. Um, <clears throat> I've had a well-intentioned advisor uh, talk to me about fundraising. Uh, and they're like, yeah, you just, you know, you got to go in and be yourself. And they're like, you know, you're a woman, so you're, you know, like, you're going to overthink this. <laughs> and, and, and so like things like that, you know, yeah. um, always, and, and you know, someone that I, that I respect and like, um, and I think it's always, what's hard about it being fundraising, being about the entrepreneur is specifically as like a Brown woman is that you're taught to be gracious, um, and being Sri Lankan is taught to be a very private, you know, it's like if you have issues with something, you learn strategically how to solve those as opposed to like voicing and like being, being the loudest room, the loudest voice in the room. Um, so that's tough because you're balancing this aggressiveness versus assertiveness versus like this quiet confidence, which plays out as uh, you're not confident in your company. Um, and so those, I mean, those are the things that I've kind of had experience with. I think also it's been interesting. So our lead investor is a, um, it's a female led fund and not focused on only female investments. Um, but as far as my conversations with male investors and a lot of them is like, not like they believe in you, but like being the lead, they're not ready to be the lead. Um, and so I guess that's kind of a challenge and something that I think is interesting is like, you know, a lot of portfolios have diverse, um, diverse portfolios, a lot of investments like VC funds have diverse portfolios, but how many of them, if they are, they do take the lead, like how many times are they taking the lead with a female startup? So I think, yeah, so those are kind of the things every day that you kind of hear. And when you say lead, you mean like they're the main investor in in your company, right? Just so. um, Yeah, they're going to be the first one in, but also they're going to be the loudest and they're going to be the ones that like corral everyone else. And that's really important in fundraising. It's, you know, we constantly are aware of like, like needing someone else to vouch for us. Um, And so actually just that system of like fundraising and being like, oh, this person is vouching for me. And now they're going to go talk to their friends and they're going to get all their friends to come in and talk to me. Um, And so that nature uh, of that is is problematic too. Um, And so, because, you know, it's all about access and it's all about, you know, investors giving you more access. Um, I think one thing that was really interesting, actually, the first, the first angel that I, uh, angel investor I talked to, which was a long time ago, and I was so, so bad and so new. Um, but she had told me, she's like, oh, you know, when you go in, she's like, you're going to have a lot of men that are going to like ask you out and like kind of, um, and she's like, just be, like, be careful about like how late you go, like, you know, pitch people. Um, and she's like, it's, you know, you should, oh, I know you're not married, but it'd be good to maybe like move that ring onto your ring finger. Uh, like men want to know that like there's another man that's that's like vouching, vouching for, for you. you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, this is, and that was like my first meeting. So I also kind of got in my head. I was like, oh my god, there's so much stuff. Um, so I don't know if that's if that's helpful advice or hurtful. Um, but that that's the advice that you also get. So my my 
pessimistic answer to that. It is helpful because it eases the road, but it shouldn't have to be helpful, right? That shouldn't be the advice you're giving. And it's not just in your industry, right? Anybody who's worked in finance and even in consulting, that's advice you get as well, right? Because as a woman, you know that if something terrible happens to you or you get propositioned, the first person getting questioned is you, right? Oh, Sabrina, why were you at a 10 p.m. dinner with an investor anyway? What were you doing there so late by yourself? You're, you're, nobody else was there with you? Really? You know, yes. nobody would ask that of any male founders um, because there, is no, there are no situations that they could possibly get into. And for sure, no one's going to ask that of the, of the investor why they wanted to have a late night dinner with a female investor solo. Right? Unless, uh, unless they're Mike Pets. And it's, <laughs> and it's just, right? Anyways, sorry. Keep going. <laughs> Um, so, so then the other end of it, Samara is, is you. So you're the one that has the unique role of sitting on the inside and sitting on the discussions. Do you think that gender plays an explicit role in these discussions? Is it implied? Yeah. I mean, we all have our own biases. I don't care who you are. Right. And I have my own biases when, um, you know, I get into a room and, and, um, it's interesting because people know that I've written the article. People know I'm a big advocate for diversity. And um, the, um, there's a guy that came in, he was a VC down the hall, and he was just talking to me. And there was one of his partners came by and he goes, Hey, what are you guys doing? And then the guy that was talking to me is like, Oh, we're just growing it. Oh, he's like, I mean, women, I mean, you know, networking. And it was just funny. And it was just like, we laughed at it. Right. But, um, but I guess people are more aware just because I'm an outspoken advocate. And so um, I don't want them to feel uncomfortable talking about this stuff. As a matter of fact, I want them to feel comfortable telling me the truth, telling me why they think, you know, um, why they feel the way they do. So for instance, uh, I did get a lot of trolls from my article that I wrote. I got a lot of hateful comments, but I got some really interesting comments. So there was a guy that said, you know, women will never be at the top. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm curious. Why, why do you say that? And I think it's important for us to be able to bring that other side, the other voice in the room, right? And so for me, I've tried to create an environment where, you know, tell me why you feel that, you know, women will be at the top. Tell me why, you know, you think that I'm being sensitive about something. And I try to be open. I, 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 maybe, I might not always be open, but I try to hear that other side. And that's the only way we're going to learn. Well, um, something you said yeah. that, that's really um, interesting and something you said really sparked something in my head about how, on one hand, we know that, of course, women are not funded and supported um, in any industry, really. But, uh, you know, on, and on top of that, though, as a woman of color, there are other barriers which you might feel. So we talked about some of the, like, microaggressions that you might get just by being a woman. But have you um, experienced or do you have thoughts on how it, it becomes slightly different? Like, let's say you're in a room with white women. Um, and as an only, as the only woman of color in the room, do you also feel in, in this space that there are, in the space that you're in, that there are also kind of these assumptions about you that, that come out? The way that plays out is, um, is that as a woman of color, you, I mean, you're, you're obviously overwhelmed with all these stats and, and kind of your, this innate drive to to get this company funded and also doubts about I mean every I can I feel like I could speak for white men as well like every founder has doubts and uh, about their ability to fundraise about the ability of the business so um, when you combine your doubt and 
those stats, you start to be like, what are we doing? Um, and I think with white women and being in a room and, um, with all white women and talking about sexism um, in tech, it's frustrating when intersectionality isn't addressed, right? So that's usually what happens is that it, there's, there's never someone that will go up and speak up and be like, yeah, this is really hard for women fundraising, but also let's just also acknowledge it's also really hard for black women fundraising. If women aren't, if white women aren't getting money, black women definitely aren't. And so our job is to also support black women founders. Um, it's rare to see that. Um, I will say one of the most exciting experiences for me is we were funded by um, a group of investors called CEO and they were Canadian. So it's, um, essentially a syndicate, but it's a nonprofit. So all of these activators put in a thousand dollars and they created a half a million dollar fund and they chose five companies to fund. And we were one of them. And there was a, con a conference in Denver and the room is, was predominantly, I'm, you know, 98% white women. They're very, very, very nice white women. Um, they all gave you great hugs, but it took a little while. Um, the racing was just so, I mean, like when you looked around, it was, it was so, apparent that it was uncomfortable. Um, and so their CEO, uh, Vicki Sanders actually got up and she's like, I'm very aware that there are not enough people of color in here. And she's like, and I just, that was like one of the first times I was like, this is so nice to hear this. And I felt like I could exhale. And the challenge that she put to everyone in that room, she's like, I'm not going to go to another dinner party where there is not a woman of color in that room. And she's like, I challenge all of you to expand your network. And unless you have access and unless you have other people of color around you, you're not going to be fighting for them and, and for them to get access to. Okay. So one thing you said about, you know, everyone, all kind of CEOs, founders have doubts, um, which is of course true. But then we also found this like stat or study, I think it's from Wharton. Um, yeah. From Wharton where it says, you know, overconfidence is the biggest psychological predictor of whether or not you're going to become an entrepreneur. So I guess, um, Samara could ask you this also, but like men are overestimating their abilities by a lot, <laughs> um, you know, and overestimating their like ideas their you know, and then, and then on the flip side, perhaps we're teaching women and girls to underestimate their abilities and their, um, their voice and, and, and their ideas. Samara, do you see systematic differences between how, women founders pitch and how men, how men founders pitch. Yes. Yes. 150%. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and then what are your recommendations for either gender founders to change? Yes, please. Yeah. I'm like taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> no, a hundred percent. So, so we see 2000 deals a year and we make an average of less than 10 of those deals, uh, 10, 10 new investments. Right. So I see a lot of deals, um, and I'm very proactive at trying to reach out to underrepresented groups and women. And, and in particular, women, I see the biggest difference with men and women in their pitches. So um, growing up, you know, we're taught to, men are, are taught that failing is okay. Uh, women are taught to be more perfect and over-prepare and, you know, getting judged about how they look or how they, you know, it, it feels like women have to feel like they need to be perfect. And so in general, I hear you know, men, when we say no to them, because we say no a lot, they, they say no to what? No to this revenue, no to my business, no to, um, you know, this valuation. Where women a lot of times say, 
No. Okay. Thank you very much. And you'll bet that I can see on the calendar the next month, I'll see the, the CEO that got rejected. Um, you know, we always offer up the ability to, you know, continue to uh, give help and, and with anything that they need. And the men will be on our calendars every month, you know, getting advice and, and, and pushing for the, their business. And women don't do that a lot. Women will say, no, thank you, or thank you, and then, and then move on. Um, that I, I'm being, I'm generalizing, but that's what I, I've seen. And so what I do, what I've seen is that, um, you know, when we say no, um, taking an extra step further and reaching out to them and saying, okay, well, let, let me walk you through why this valuation doesn't make sense for us. Let me walk you through this financial model and, and what we're, where we're seeing the holes, right? And for me, it's, it's being very proactive and reaching out to them. Um, and in general, women CEOs are just a lot more aggressive in general than, than kind of the average woman, I would say. But you, you'll find that, you know, I've had, I've had women that were like Harvard educated investment bankers, you know, come in and, and um, not negotiate or women that have gone to startups and had a male CEO and not even negotiate their own salary or equity. And, and I see that even with myself, you know, everything is negotiable. And it took me a long time to realize that. And I think what it was is that it's putting myself in an uncomfortable position where my whole life and society, you know, in general has taught women have to be perfect. Women can't fail. And um, for me, it's, it's, it's pushing myself, making myself uncomfortable, but also um, doing that for other women and being very proactive and saying, Hey, we said no to you, but you know, um, let's get you on the calendar. Let's, let's get you in, in front of all the partners. So, so you touch on something, you know, so implicit in all the conversation we've had so far is that VC culture, we're taking VC culture as immutable, but it's not immutable. It is mutable. It can be changed. So what oh, yeah. change about the culture or the structure of how, even the structure of how VC works, either of you, I pose this question to either of you, what would you change about the structure of how VC culture or VC funding works, especially in tech? I would say transparency. Um, you know, the like this is probably the first round that when I've gotten rejected, uh, investors have said, I, I, like, they're like, if you want to touch base on our, like, you know, why we're hesitant about things, like, let's jump on a call. Um, and that was, and I, I said yes. And I think I should have done that every time. When I, when I think back about the times that people said no, and a lot of those investors have come around and are now investing in us. But one, you, you don't know that you're supposed to, you're going to hear so many no's. Um, and yeah. And so I think that's one thing. If investors can just be like, hey, like, we want you to come back to us. <laughs> um, and I think the notion of perfection is really interesting, though. And um, Melinda, who runs Tech Inclusion, really, I mean, literally the first month that we launched had told me the stat about, she's like, yeah, women statistically start businesses a lot later. Um, so where men are starting startups in their early twenties, women, um, because they want to make sure that everything's lined up, started in their thirties. Um, if you're applying for a job, a man will see like three of the qualifications and be like, Oh, I don't have two of them. And they'll apply for it. They're like, Oh, I have majority of the qualifications I hit women. It's like, Oh, well I, if I don't have all five of them, I'm not going to apply. Like I'm going to be wasting their time. So I think that, that is interesting because so so much of the the process is kind of hidden, and you're learning from you're learning from your mistakes. But sometimes you learn really slow, and it gets it gets sad. Yeah, and, and 
what I would add to that too is, is, you know, what I would change about this. I completely agree by the way. Um, but I would say within the investing at the VC culture, I knew that it was aggressive and I knew that a lot of times it, it, you know, you're seeing so many deals, you're negotiating deal terms. It's kind of like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's the wild, wild west, but in a lot of ways it kind of is. And, you know, with that, I've learned to have a bigger voice. Um, internally at my team, if, if, you know, I'm doing a diligence on a company and I have an investment recommendation, like I need to, everyone is kind of yelling across the room and I need to just speak up and say my opinion and, and be articulate and, and try to do it in, in as quickly as possible. I don't think that that's the right approach. Uh, I don't think that, I think that um, it scares some people away, men and women. Um, you know, I've gotten comfortable with it over the last two years, but it's exhausting too. And sometimes when people come in and pitch, not only like to VCs in general, um, it could be very kind of pitches and spitfire questions and, and, and like, um, it's not always friendly and I'm not saying it needs to be, but why does it need to be that way? Right. So like there was one fund here in Chicago that invests purely in women and they're like, we don't do pitches. We do, we have conversations. And I thought that was so great. And like, why does it have to be? So intense. And in, in my opinion, I, and I'm an outsider to tech, um, I don't buy the move fast and break things. I don't. So there is, there is value in being very thoughtful. And Samara, I, I appreciate your, your viewpoint on that. Um, because I, ultimately, I think a lot of this toxic culture needs to just be questioned. You know, why, why do we assume that everything has to be a zero-sum game and antagonistic? Yeah, yeah I just love that you all brought that up because to me, this is how this topic connects so much to the broader problems we're seeing in society right now, to the, to the world in which we live in, because it's like, if we allow the baseline to be set by the culture of, of dominance, which is, you know, patriarchal and it's all about masculinity, it's never going to be inclusive because we also know like we have this, that, that elephant in the valley study that says 84% of women have been told that they're too aggressive, you know, so you can't, you can never actually, you know, in a world that privileges dominance, men will always win because the dominance is associated with masculinity. And, and then it's these men in power who are trying to tell us that, Oh, if you're, if you're just more aggressive, we'll allow you in, but no, it's actually like, if you play our game, we'll stay on top. Right. It's, it's the pushback. It's the pushback to the lean in argument, right? So there's all the whole lean in, lean in. And then you see that, Oh, well, when you do lean in now you're seen as aggressive or annoying or pushy. You know, so much of tech is like, Oh, we're like anti-institution. We're like, you know, we're going to like go innovate. We're going to do all these things. We're going to do it quickly. Um, and so like nobody wants to create, like wants to have systems, but it also means that it's really exclusive to women and, and then no one's held accountable. Like, I mean, to the degree that you're like, really, we don't have, you don't have an HR accountability system at Uber. Like that sounds insane, but that's not just Uber. That's like all tech because that's kind of like the nature of what the, what the tech mantra is. It's like, Oh no, no we don't need any of the systems. We don't need, we're just going to like go do and, and part of that's sort of the glorification of tech, because tech positions itself as an industry as doing better for the world. 
Um, and then there's sort of this deification of all things or glorification of all things tech as if, you know, because we allow you to bring your puppy to work and have flexible work hours, that must mean we are inclusive and understanding of all things, including our, you know, sexism and racism in our culture. Totally. If there's puppies, we can't be sexist. <laughs> um, but I think, Imran, I think that... That also segues really well into the culture that of startups that we build too. I think it's actually been like a really good way for us to be like, okay, we need to make sure that we're really clearly defining our culture and our values um, and make sure that we're not getting overwhelmed by kind of this, this fundraising and, and kind of tech environment that we're not making sure that every, we're creating a safe space for everybody and our employees. Um, and so, and I think that's, I mean, that's obviously true for Uber too. It's just, uh, if you don't stop and you don't define culture, uh, it's not going to define itself. You know, from an investor perspective, I mean, we invest very early stage, right? So C, Series A. And um, at that point, it's, you're just building out your team. A lot of times you're raising money um, to grow and scale. And we've so many issues that we've seen have come from, you know, co-founder issues, have come from people leaving or, you know, in the good kid scenario where they're growing really, really fast and they have to hire all these people in a short period of time. There was one company that went from 14 people to 117 people in six months. Um, they were growing so quickly, we had investment in them, and it was a good problem to have. But, you know, with all these new people, they hadn't thought about culture. They hadn't thought about bringing in these new personalities, these new groups. And, you know, they're, 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 they're struggling right now, and, and you know, we're working on, on helping them with this. But it's, it's the earlier you can define culture and what you're going to accept and what your values are, the better it is, right, as you go to raise money and as you go to grow and scale your company. And from an investor perspective, this is my goal, this is my dream, is to, um, you know, be able to influence that in our portfolio companies and kind of set, set the, the standard up front and just kind of say, like, you know, thinking, like, how are you hiring? Who are you thinking about hiring? How are you thinking about that? But more importantly, is having a pipeline ready to go so that we have that already. I wanted to say, like, some one thing that, Sabrina said that really, we talked about, you brought up Uber and I think that's so significant because, and you also talked about how, like, if you, you know, when you don't implement systems in your, in your culture, then, um, you know, they're not going to come later. You're going to, and, and we're talking about dangerous, real situations, like violent situations, people, you know, being harassed, people being abused, people losing their jobs. You know, these are real impacts of this. But one of the things that I always think about is if you don't implement a system in your workplace, it's, you're going to just replicate the systems in which we live, you know, the world in which we live, which if we don't, if we just take it as it is, is dominator culture and, and, and patriarchy. So it's all connected to, to who's our president and all this other stuff that goes yeah. on in the, in the world about, you know, when we don't create thoughtful systems in our cultures. They just keep doing the horrible things outside. Yeah. And what I would add to that is, you know, for better or worse, our new president has lit a fire under our, our asses, 
many asses and they're all different <laughs> colors and types and whatever else. And, you know, um, I always like every, a lot of people, you know, upset and whatever else, but it may, it forced me to, you know, think about things differently and very take, take an advocate role in a lot of different things. And, um, a lot of people in tech are doing the same thing. You know, a lot of top leaders, um, which is refreshing and, and it, it, it's good, right? It, it's the first step forward. People are more open to having these discussions and it's going to be people that are leaders in the tech space, are leaders in the VC space, which right now are white men, um, that are open to changing um, the way that our current environment is. But if they don't start figuring it out today, um, they're going to be behind, they're going to be um lagging behind, you know, where the industry is going, where demographics in the U.S. are going, and they're going to be losing money. And so I think that there's a lot of positive things coming out of this election and coming out of this um, increased, uh, you know, changes in, in, in how we feel about what's our participation in making a change for the future. Uh, all right, that's our show. Uh, thank you for listening. You can find more about all these amazing people and the stuff we talked about in the notes um, for this episode on a Tumblr, studiesshow.tumblr.com, as well as on SoundCloud. We're also on iTunes. Um, so please you know, subscribe and uh, follow us and keep in touch. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>